Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. Let's open our Bibles today as we go to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. It's located on page 1173 in your pew Bible, James 3, 13 through 18. Let's stand as we receive God's word to us today. Hear the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. May God bless this reading to you. Please have a seat. Researchers at Cornell University came out with a report in 2018 where they estimated, I don't know how they did this, but they estimated, they observed how many choices we make in an average day. 35,000 choices. Some significant, some extremely mundane, but they said from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, that's roughly how many choices you will make. Out of those, 226 choices are devoted to food alone, which kind of explains why the drive-thru at Tim Hortons is always really slow, isn't it? 226 choices on food. 35,000 choices is a lot to make. You don't even consciously think about how many decisions you make, who you talk to, what tone of voice you're using, what you put on in the morning. But some of the choices we make are significant. They're the ones that impact our lives. And we never quite know what those might be, but we ask ourselves, well, is this the right person to marry? Should I take this job? How do I handle this difficult person? Who do I delegate this task to? What donut topping do I want at Tim Hortons? We have Tim Hortons out in the Welcome Center, which is why I'm bringing this up. And what makes our choices even harder is that we know that for many of them, when we say yes to one thing, we are saying no to all the other choices. And so sometimes we get locked down in decision paralysis, going, well, what if I make the wrong choice? What if all the things I'm saying no to now, one of those was the right choice, and I just bungled it? We don't know how how it's going to play out. So how do we know the right choices to make. 
35,000 right choices every day. Well, the Bible has a term for this, and that term is wisdom. Acting rightly, making good choices on the information available to you. You are not omniscient. You do not have all of the information, all of the facts, but you have are reasonably well-informed, and you can make decisions based on that information. So thus, how do we, as followers of Christ, who live in Him, make wise choices that please Him? This is what James is concerned about today. Now, you may remember, maybe you've come to church and I left you last week in a state of anxiety, a state of tension, as James raised this question of our uncontrollable speech and how do we control it. And he's left us there just hanging. He hasn't forgotten about it. He will get to an answer. But part of that answer leads through this topic of wisdom. How do we make good choices? In the passage we read today, James looks through two very different windows at two very different types of wisdom. And he says, generally in your life, you will be following one type of wisdom or the other. What is it? What will it be? What kind of guidance do you need to make 35,000 good choices tomorrow? Let's look through these windows alongside James. Knocks on the window and says, look through them. Let's take a look at these two types of wisdom today. Well, the first wisdom, uh, I'm sorry, the first window we look through is the window of worldly wisdom. And he says that this kind of wisdom is really easy to spot. It's it's not hiding at all. He says this kind of wisdom is all about self-centered ambition. Basically, if you can answer yes to this question, it's typically worldly wisdom. It's the kind of wisdom where people say, I'm making my choice based on the question, What do I get out of this? If you're asking yourself that when you're making a choice, you're looking for self-centered ambition. What do I get out of this? Now, if we existed in a universe that had no God, this approach would make sense, right? Because there would be no eternity. There would be nothing past our lives. And so really, we would be looking out for number one. It would make sense. Who else will look out for us? We might as well do that job. We might as well see what decisions we need to make to get what we deserve, to get ours, to get ahead, to get everything we feel is coming to us in this life. Well, you can see that everywhere in our country today. That's the modern American dream, isn't it? It's about promoting yourself. It's about accumulating as much wealth as you possibly can. It's about establishing a legacy and then leaving a really good-looking corpse. That's the modern American dream. Well, James points out that decisions made in this endless effort to promote yourself always results in one thing, and that is envy. Envy. Envy is when you're never satisfied because you are forever always looking at what other people have and saying, I want more. I want something more. I have this this hole in my life. I have this void. I need to fill it with stuff, with achievements, with relationships. I need to cram as much as I can possibly get. And even when I do that, it's still not enough. Well, envy is an ulcer on our souls. 
because it brings pain to us. It can never be satisfied. It's always there hurting you. The more you envy, the more you find yourself frustrated and you complain and you become miserable. It's the enemy of Christian living because envy is the opposite of caring for the needy, isn't it? It's caring for yourself. Say you need to care for yourself. Who cares? Somebody else will take care of all these other people. They'll get theirs. I got I to take care of myself. We see, we want, we can't have, thus we envy. And the ache of that never goes away. And so what James is trying to tell us here is painting this picture of how worldly wisdom eventually leads to a free-for-all where everybody's just scrambling to get whatever they can get. Have you ever gone to a concert or, or a NASCAR race or something where they, they throw T-shirts into the crowd? I and mean, we all have T-shirts, right? You have enough T-shirts in your life. But the second that T-shirt goes out, everybody is scrambling for it like they don't have a shred of clothes to their name. It's, it's the one thing, they got to have it. It's got to be mine. And then, and then Wesley gets it. And I'm upset because he has the thing I wanted. It's a scramble. It's a free-for-all. You see at baseball games, a foul ball goes and people are knocking each other over just to get that ball. Well, it's uglier when we see it in our lives. When we look at the workplace. We see how power struggles arise as people backstab, as they gossip, as they wheedle their way to the top of the corporate structure. Marriages crumble when you have two people who are looking out for themselves first and foremost. When the foremost question on their mind is, what can that other person do for me? What can that other person give to me and why aren't they doing it? That's when marriages start to break apart. Even the church can be absolutely brutalized by envy and selfish ambition. By people who come into the church and say, it's got to be all about me. I've got to be the most loved person here. I have to be the one with the most power in this group. James has seen it. We've all seen it. And if this type of wisdom sounds absolutely terrible to you, it should come as no shock, the source of it. It's not something we just invented one day all on our own self-centered ambition. James basically says right here in the verse, he says, it comes from hell. This is, that's the source of this kind of wisdom. The enemy gleefully has been sending his servants all across the world for hundreds and thousands of years, sowing this kind of self-centered ambition into the very fabric of our culture. In fact, we can see it in the very opening of the Bible. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, we see the enemy himself tempting Eve with worldly wisdom. The temptation Satan presents to Adam and Eve is by pointing to this forbidden fruit and saying, hey, guys, ignore what God said. Ignore what He said. You need to get yours. You need to look out for yourself and provide for yourself and get ahead in life. And if you take this fruit, and if you eat it, you will promote yourself and become more like God. Doesn't that sound good? That's the temptation of worldly wisdom. Listen to how Eve gives in 
to self-centered ambition in Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, was pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Eve saw that the food was good for her. She judged that it was good for her. She saw that it was pleasing to her. She, knew, she saw that by eating it, she would gain a greater knowledge than she already had at that moment. So it all became about her, her, her. And what's the end result of that self-centered, worldly wisdom? Well, Adam and Eve turned on each other. They turned against God. They brought cursing, curses and death into their life. And instead of a life of thriving in the Garden of Eden, they had to scrabble and survive out in the world. That's what this gets you. And that's why James is so very adamant about this. Worldly wisdom is so tempting because it has all of us asking the question, we grow up asking, what do I get out of this choice? But James wants you to see the truth of this thinking. That this thinking is demonic, and it has your destruction firmly in mind. Be wary of choices that ask you to be self-centered at the expense of other people and at the expense of God. It's okay to provide for yourself. It's okay to enjoy things that you enjoy, but not when it comes at the expense of others and God. It gets in the way of you loving them. So now that James has told us the truth, we don't get to use that little kid excuse of, well, I didn't know better. Now we do know better. And we can reject worldly wisdom when it pops up. All right, we've looked through that window. We've seen the bleakness that contains inside. Well, then James asks us to shuffle over and look through another window here. Look at another type of wisdom here in verses 17 and 18. We look in and we see that there is also, in addition to a worldly wisdom, there is a godly wisdom wisdom that comes from the very throne of heaven itself. It's made freely available to any and all who ask for it. James says there's no shortage of this wisdom, there's no limit to it, and no end to its benefits. Sounds great. So why isn't everybody using this kind of wisdom? If it's not out to destroy you, but rather to build you up, why don't we use it? Well, we're only going to go to God as a source of wisdom if we see Him as being wiser than we are. And sin gets in the way of that. Once we humble ourselves, once we look at the Almighty and say, God, I've had it with making bad choices in my life. I know where those get me. I have made the wrong call so many times. I bow in humility to your greater wisdom, your greater guidance. Show me the right way to live, and I will submit to you. Only by then do we start down this path of godly wisdom. But it's more than that. The Bible says it's more than just acknowledging that God is the greater source of wisdom. But the Bible says we also have to crave wisdom. Crave it. Want it so bad that we will do whatever it takes to get it. Proverbs 2, Proverbs, great book about all about wisdom. All about choices, practical choices, left and right. Proverbs chapter 2 says, If you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding, 
If you look at for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. That's not a very passive stance to take. You don't just raise your hand and go, yep, I'm ready for some wisdom. You obviously have to do something to get this wisdom. You have to search for it. You have to find it. So where do you find God's wisdom? It's not at Walmart. It's not anywhere in your journals. It's actually, the answer is really simple. The answer is very obvious. But the answer requires us to be very diligent in this effort. The answer to this is two things. We find God's wisdom in prayer. We find God's wisdom in the Scriptures. You've got to talk to God, and you've got to listen to God. These are the only two ways we go, well, it's got to be more than that. No, it really isn't. And I know we always sound like a broken record in the church saying, pray to God, read the scriptures, but we have to be because we don't do it enough. And if we don't do it enough, we're not really gaining that wisdom. We're not really searching it out. We're not craving it the way we might crave, you know, a good White Castle burger or a pizza or something. We go, I, I need it. I, my mind is fixed upon it. Is your mind fixed upon gaining world or godly wisdom to such way. Well, I want to ask you this. Let's read again verse 17. And ask yourself, do you want this in your life? How does this sound if you had this in your life? But the wisdom comes from heaven. is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, sincere. What if you were to look into a mirror and that's what reflected back at you? Because you knew without a shadow of a doubt God's wisdom was inside of you. More and more every day. And more and more you had more of this. There's nothing bad in that entire sentence. Nothing that would bring you shame. Nothing that you would want to hide. So James is telling us when you, when you have this godly wisdom, when you search out for it, suddenly you go from being about self-centered ambition to outward-facing love. You start producing good fruit. You start living for others. This godly wisdom, James tells us, turns people into people that reap a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness is simply a fancy big word that says you do the right thing. You live the right way. You make the right call. You choose the right decision. I want to make better choices. James wants you to make better choices. And we get to make these better choices the closer we grow to God. This is the Christian journey we're on. You don't get it overnight. But little bit by little bit, day by day, we gain this godly wisdom. And we start making those 35,000 choices better and better. Well, as we close our time together, I want to look at an example because this, right now I've been giving you the theory of wisdom. Let's look at it in practice. And the Bible gives us a very practical example of both worldly and godly wisdom acted out. And that is in 1 Samuel 25. If you've got your Bibles, open to page 286, 1 Samuel 25, on page 286. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll let you kind of skim it as we talk. So in this chapter, David... He's out in the wilderness. He's, he's on a trip with 600 or so 
of his followers. David had a rather large entourage back then. And at this time, they've been out in the wilderness. They've gotten really dusty and muddy the way that guys tend to do when women aren't around them to say, you need to take a shower. And so they want to come into civilization. It's festival time. They want to celebrate. They want to be with people. They want to eat good food and drink good wine and just have a good time. And so they start to come in and they send a message ahead of them. David sends a message ahead of him to the nearest wealthy landowner who could possibly take care of him and his men. And the, the message goes to a guy named Nabal. Nabal, as we see in verse 3, is described as surly and mean. And we can extrapolate from that that this is a man who has all this wealth and he is not happy with it. That's self-centered ambition. That's envy. This is a man who's been living for himself. He's surly, he's mean, he's not happy with his choices. But David is very friendly in his message. He sends it out says, we'd, let, we'd appreciate your hospitality. My men have a reputation for behaving themselves. So please, will you accept us in? Can we come and enjoy your, your hospitality while we enjoy these festivities? But instead of agreeing to this, Nabal sends a message back and he rudely refuses. David says, buzz off, essentially. That's, that's the Justin translation of the Bible. Buzz off, get out of here. Why should I take you in? That's not, I, I don't gain anything from that. You guys will trample all over my fields. I don't, I don't want that. And so here's a first example of what worldly wisdom gets you. Nabal, looking out for number one, turns away a possible future friendship with the king of Israel. What would have been if he just said, yes, come to my home. Let me treat you right. But instead, he is bluntly rude. And David gets this response, and he sees red. He doesn't act any better than Nabal does. He starts to respond in worldly wisdom as well. Look at verse 13 there. 1 Samuel 25, verse 13. David is so angry at being treated this way, so offended that he tells his men, grab your swords. We're going Nabal hunting today. His ego was hurt. He was asking himself, what do I get out of this? The way this man has treated me. I am the anointed. The Lord has anointed me over all of Israel. And this man treats his future king this way? I don't think so. And so he starts dragging 400 armed men to march on the homestead of Nabal. It is going to be an absolute slaughter. David says, we're going to kill every man, every boy in this household. How dare he treat me this way? You can hear the worldly wisdom breaking out in both of these cases. And it would have been a slaughter. That would have been a terrible way for this chapter to end. Except that there was, by the grace of God, one person in this situation who had godly wisdom. And that is Nabal's wife, Abigail. We're told in verse 2 that Abigail is intelligent. She is beautiful. And we find out that she also loves the Lord. And so she hears of this situation. She hears of the, the response that Nabal sent out. She realizes she, uh, that David's marching on their home. And so Abigail takes it upon herself, takes some initiative there. In verse 18, she loads up donkeys with 400 cakes, really sweet cakes, and she brings 
all these donkeys out to David. And as David, everybody's got their sword in their hand, they're getting ready, and they're, they're talking themselves up for this murder that they're about to do. Abigail brings this caravan, and she shows them hospitality on the road. And she bows down, and she, she apologizes for the actions of her husband. She says, please forgive him. It was uncalled for. And then she reminds David that vengeance is for the Lord alone. That what he is about to do is not a wise decision. In the middle of two hot-headed men that are all about worldly wisdom stood a woman shining so pure and so bright because she had God's wisdom in her. And in this moment, to his credit, David hears this rebuke. And he responds in godly wisdom. And he's like, what was I thinking? Praise God that he sent you to, to, to call me out on my bad behavior. Praise God that I didn't go through with this. Because I would have been guilty of bloodshed. Later we're told that God, because vengeance is God, judgment is God alone, that God brings judgment upon Nabal. Ten days later, Nabal dies. And David goes back to this woman that he met, and he's just infatuated with, because he's seen her godly wisdom, he's seen her intelligence, he's seen her beauty, he's seen her passion for the Lord, and he gets down on one knee and he proposes. And Abigail says, yes. And in a weird and wonderful way, we have a love story. So look at the two paths that wisdom gets you. If worldly wisdom had won this day, there would have been death and murder and guilt. Godly wisdom brought peace and love and marriage. What path are we going to take this week? And what are you prepared to do to get the right kind of wisdom? Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you this morning for Abigail. So many incredible women in the Bible, and this is just one of them. A woman after your heart, and just we need role models like that that are willing to stand up for the right thing, willing to be humble, to be gracious, to be loving, but also to be firm, to not be afraid to speak the truth when the truth needs to be spoken. I just pray that we have the kind of wisdom that we grow closer to you to develop this godly wisdom that brings about pureness in our life and sincerity and good fruit and all these other things that, man, we wish we had more of. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom you have given us. Many times that you have rebuked us in our sin, you've held us back from making incredibly bad choices. Lord, you've brought about some wonderful benefits in our life because we have chosen your way. Lord, we know that your way ultimately brings about your glory, and that's why we should want it the most. Lord, I pray that we would just glorify you through all the decisions we make this week, the way we treat other people, things we do in secret, choices we make with our money, everything, Lord, that we would just choose wisdom that is godly, in your name, amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 
2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 10.30 a.m., either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash KnoxEPC. Past sermons can be found at KnoxEPC.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.